Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Man, oh man, it's good to see some faces back, good to see some new faces. <clears throat> and this is the time to invite your unchurched friends because we're going to be in this for a while, uh, through September, October, maybe even into November. We're going to be talking about the core basics of the Christian faith, faith once and for all delivered to the saints. But before I get into that, a couple things while people come back from taking their kids and all that stuff. Um, not to start off on a bummer, uh, but I don't know if you've been watching the news. My wife refuses to anymore because she's just, it just tears her up. But I hope that all of you who are Christians are praying for Afghanistan. Um, it's an unmitigated disaster, but what's really horrific, other than, of course, the loss of life that we saw this week, and that's why all the flags are at half-staff here in the parking lot. Thanks, Blake did that yesterday. There is a, um, a website that I look at occasionally called the Christian Post, and they and Christianity Today both have an informant in Afghanistan who they call Pastor X. He's a pastor of an underground church, and he reported this week that one of the things that is happening is that the Taliban are stopping people, demanding to look on their phones, and if there's a Bible app on there, they kill them. Um, that's one. Uh, two, the other horrific thing that's going on there is that, especially outside of Kabul, where the news media is not, they are going around and telling people that if you have a little girl 12 years old or older, you have to put an X on your front door so that they know where to come and take her to put her into sex slavery if they so desire. If you do not, if you have a daughter over 12 and you do not put an X on the door, they kill the entire family. So we need to be praying hard, especially for our brothers, sisters in Christ who are dealing with just a horrific situation. So be praying for that, please. Also, before you leave, be sure to pick up a bulletin if you haven't got one already. There are prayer requests in there. And you should be praying over those every day, I hope. On a lighter note, I can tell you this, if anybody is looking for a bat wrangler, my wife is a beast. Um, I thought, we went, through, we went through a period a couple years ago where there was a bat in the house almost every single night. And I was like, I gotta figure out where these suckers are coming from. And I thought I found it because I saw one come up out of this floor vent. It just came whoo, swooping up. So I was like, ah, that's it. And so I went to Lowe's. I bought a bunch of steel mesh. I put steel mesh over every single vent in the house. I was like, ha, ha. And for 18 months, I was winning. And then last week, they figured, they showed they were smarter than I was. Because um, one little one got in. Megan was actually on the road, so I got, but the difference between then and now is now we have puppies. And if you know anything about bats and little animals, you're supposed to keep bats away from little animals because if they come into contact, what you have to do is you have to trap the bat, send the bat off to be tested, and then possibly get your dog's rabies shots and all that kind of stuff. So I grab the puppies, and I throw them in the bathroom, and I open the back door, and the thing goes out, and I'm like, okay, 
no problem, I'll deal with you tomorrow. Well then, a week later, Megan is home, and I'm sitting on the couch, and all of a sudden, I'm just watching TV, and she's outside in the back deck, that's her happy place where she works, and I see this thing go, vroom. I'm like, nothing's supposed to go, vroom, in my house. And I look up, and this thing, the one I chased out the week before was a little teeny tiny thing. This thing looked like it was used on Game of Thrones or something. This thing was huge. And so I do the same thing. I pick up the puppies. I throw them in the bathroom. I close the door. I walk outside. I said, Megan, there's a bat in here. She goes, okay. She jumps right up. This will tell you, you know, she jumps right up, grabs a broom, and goes in there, throws open the door, and usually that'll work. You throw open a door, bat will just go right out. It'll just follow the airflow and all that kind of stuff. Well, this one apparently really liked what Megan had done with the place, and it just decided it wanted to stay. And so it's just circling around and circling around and circling around. I'm swinging at it. She said, we both got brooms. We look like idiots. If somebody looked through our bay window and couldn't see the bat, it looked like we were just going, you know, like this. But eventually she got it out and set it free to go eat mosquitoes and all kinds of stuff. So if you need a bat wrangler, my wife's services are available. You can always use the extra money. All right. This morning, we are talking about the existence of God. How do you know that God exists? And not just a God, the God of the Bible. How do you know? It's not just all blind faith. It isn't. And I'm glad for that. And I know I'm a nerd who loves to study this stuff, but you need to understand this. If you have just faith alone, that's great, but you cannot allow that faith to be kind of steered by your emotions alone. I believe in the God of the Bible because I believe it's true, not because I want to believe, but because I just cannot deny that truth. Emotionally, if it was just all my emotions, I'd have checked out a long time ago, many times. It's like, this ain't for me. But I can't deny it. It's not just blind faith. So I'm going to lead you through a couple ways that you could know and that you can share with those who don't believe. And we are in a serious situation in this country. We are 10, 20 years of being like Europe where only 5% of the population goes to church. The most growing, the fastest growing group in America, according to surveys, are the nuns. Not N-U-N with the black you know, robes and all that kind of stuff. N-O-N-E-S, nuns. That's when they ask, what's your religious preference? There is Christianity, Judaism, Mormonism, Islam, whatever, and then none. And the nun is the fastest growing of the bunch. And it's amazing because I spent a lot of time working with young people, especially college students. We'll go to heaven for that if nothing else. And sitting down with them and talking about their doubts and their intellectual struggles with the faith. And here's what I found. A couple things. One real quick. Um, how many of you know who this is when I say Columbo. All right, some of you know who are old enough to remember who Columbo was. So 
Columbo was a TV detective, primarily in the 70s, but you know, they'd bring him back for a TV movie in like the 80s and 90s. And Columbo was this guy who'd walk around, nothing ever ironed, always kind of frumple, always a little cigar in his hand. And he was a detective, and he always just struck people as an idiot. But when he started asking them questions, he'd pin them into a corner. And it was always just one more question. Oh, just one more thing. And he'd nail them. And what I have found is when you start talking to somebody, say they don't believe in God or whatever, and you start asking them simple questions, they typically cannot answer them. And the simplest question, a guy out in California came up with what he calls the Columbo method. And the first question you need to is somebody says, well, I don't believe in God, or I don't think it's possible that there is a God, is to ask this, what do you mean by that? Just ask them very politely. You're not being confrontational. You're not being combative. You don't want to just you don't want to win the argument but lose the war. So you're just asking questions. What do you mean by that? And try to get them to start talking and trying to get them to start working through what they really believe because most of the time they just haven't. And she just kind of lead them through that gently. And then at the end of asking those questions, you simply say, "Have you ever considered For example, here's one. This one was popularized by a guy who's who, by the name of William Lane Craig. <clears throat> it, it's amazing when I talk to non-Christians. Most non-Christians believe that all Christians are basically, at their core, morons. And so they're absolutely shocked when they encounter somebody like William Lane Craig, who has two masters, two doctorates, and speaks 12 languages, and is a Christian apologist. I remember talking to the guys at Zenos Church in Columbus, and they were having William Lane Craig come in to debate an atheist professor at Ohio State. And by the way, William Lane Craig, the Christian, has never lost a debate, ever. And William Lane Craig, they call him and said, would you be up to debate this guy? And he's like, sure. And they said, okay, his name, and his name was some long Dutch name. And he goes, calls him back, and he goes, are we doing this in English or Dutch? And they're like, what? He goes, well, I can do either. I just need to know beforehand for my notes. Brain like this, right? And he popularizes this. And I'm going to simplify this. You've got the formal argument there in your bulletin. But I'm going to simplify this down. Just, just try to strip it down to this. One of those powerful arguments for the existence of God is this. We're here. The universe is here. Now, some of you may believe that you're in the matrix or something, but even something had to create the matrix. We're here. The universe is here. Where did it come from? Now, even honest, atheistic physicists will tell you, we don't know. We'll find out someday. Really? See, Einstein... Don't go on me, I know, as soon as I start talking science, but just listen to me. Albert Einstein proved beyond shadow of a doubt that the universe had to begin, not only the universe, time, time itself, space, and matter all came into existence at the same time. Scientists call that the Big Bang. For some reason, Christians shy away from that term because they think it's all caught up in Darwinism or something like that. Don't 
don't worry about that term. There's nothing, there's nothing atheistic or about that. The Big Bang just means the universe had a beginning. And Einstein, who was an agnostic, got mad at his own theory. He said it irritated him because he knew he just gave evidence of the proof of God. And he didn't want to do that, but he did. So if the universe had a beginning, if it had a Big Bang, who lit the fuse? Something outside of time, space, and matter with intelligence had to do it. Even Einstein admitted that. We're here. The universe had a beginning. And we can almost pinpoint when it was just by tracking the radiation. Now, atheists will say, well, and I've heard a couple of atheists say this. One of them, a guy out in Arizona State, likes to say, well, maybe there was a vacuum, and out of that vacuum came the universe. To which, the, of course, the next question is, what made the vacuum? You see, they just have to keep pushing this back. One of them is this theory called the multiverse thing, which is that universes that make other universes. To which William Lane Craig replied, okay, who made the very first universe? Two, if God created a universe that creates other universes, I'm kind of even more impressed. But you can't keep kicking it back forever. It is mathematically impossible to have what they call an infinite regress. You cannot go back forever. It has to stop somewhere, and where it stops, the only explanation is God. It's that simple. And more than that, even Richard Dawkins, who's like, he's the, one of the nastiest atheists on the face of the planet. You go on YouTube, and you type in Richard Dawkins Christian, you'll see him like just taunting like 16-year-old girls who dare to ask a question. I mean, just a jerk. And even Dawkins says that when he looks at human DNA and he looks at the universe, he says, yes, it appears to be designed. If something looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. If it looks intelligently designed, it's because it was. In fact, even followers of Charles Darwin, they now call themselves neo-Darwinists instead of just Darwinists, and there's a reason for that. The reason is they know now, after mapping out human DNA, that Darwin was wrong. Darwin, if you've never read Darwin's book, I have, um, Ikea catalogs are more lively reading, by the way. It is boring. But you get into it, and what Charles Darwin said was, if one day they discover that creatures are more finely designed than they appear to me, that it appears more like design than accident, I'm wrong. Guess what they found? It's wrong. But cut the guy some slack. It was the 19th century. They didn't even know about cells yet. But even cells are incredibly well designed. So you've got even now people who aren't even Christians who are, are got this institute up in Seattle that they're working with saying, we've got to come up with something new 
because we can't explain the Big Bang and we can't explain intelligent design, we have to rethink all of this. And yet, we're told it's gospel truth. It's not. It just isn't. So that's number two. Now, you may look around and think that things are not as designed as well as they should be. I thought that looking in the mirror this morning. However, the Bible also clearly teaches why there are problems in our universe. What does it say? It says at Genesis 3. Because when sin entered the world, evil entered the world, and corruption began. That's why it is the way it is. And yet, despite all that, the design is mind-boggling. When I started to read up on this stuff, and yes, I'm a geek, but man, when I started to read up on this stuff, I was like, you got to be kidding me. One physicist put this way. He said, just the earth itself, just, just the earth. Let's say that you had like 80 different factors necessary to sustain life on earth. You'd have 80 dials. If just one of those 80 dials was cranked just a half an inch or a quarter of an inch this way or that way, life ceased to exist on earth. It's that finely tuned. Do you know one of the things that you need to have the gravity we have so that we're either not floating or being smashed? You have to have a moon situated exactly at the right angle orbiting that planet, and it has to be a certain size. And guess what? Do you know why we haven't had a giant asteroid? We haven't had a, if you've seen the movie Armageddon, if you haven't, shame on you. I don't know what you're doing with your life. But anyway, if you've seen Armageddon, you know there's the big meteors coming. It's a planet killer, and we got to go up there and blow it up, and none of it makes any sense, but it's fun. So why we haven't had any of those? Because the planets in our system are so much larger than us and orbit in such a way they catch all of them. You're going to tell me that's not design? It's pretty impressive, isn't it? It's pretty impressive. But it's not just this will get you. These two arguments will get you to, okay, maybe there's a God. But how do I know it's your God, the God of the Bible? Here's why Christianity is different from every religion Save Judaism, and there's another important difference there, is this. What Christianity teaches is that we are made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis 1, 27. That means, the image and likeness means, we have certain traits that God has. We share some traits. We don't have all of them. We're not outside of time. We can't see a future. We can't create out of nothing. We can't see all that's going on every day. We can't do all those things. We don't have his power, his sight. We don't have any of that. But we do have a couple things that God does have. So one of the things that we have is we desire justice. This week when you heard that more than a dozen U.S. Marines were killed, did you not get ticked off? Why? My wife decided, because we're not having kids, 
she needed puppies. So she got a new job, she got her master's degree, birthday, I was like, gotta get her puppies. And she was like, I want puppies to cuddle. And I'm like, shoot, because I don't like ankle biters. I like big dogs. Like I had a Rottweiler when I lived in New York, his name was Jerry. It's the biggest Rottweiler I'd ever seen. People would cross the street when I'd walk it down the street. And I loved Jerry, but here's the problem with Jerry. Rottweilers don't cuddle. They just kind of lay near you or on you. But they ain't cuddling. And Jerry was so big, and he, he didn't like to leave my side. And I was in law school at the time. And he'd come and he'd lay in my lap. And the only thing I could do is take my law book and just put it on top of his head. So he was like my table. And he didn't care. He just sat there while I did my thing. I like those kind of dogs. Now, she wanted those. So we got, we got a dorky. And we got a mini golden doodle, which she, a boy and a girl, and um, this week, Bogey and Bacall, she names them. And Bogey's a little upset with me because this week he got, you know, and uh, he wasn't, he, I took him to go get, and I think he remembers. Um, but what happens, I watch these little dogs, and I'm glad I got two because one was wearing me out, but two, they'll just play with each other all day long. You don't have to mess with it. And so they do this, like, Benny Hill thing where they just chase each other around the coffee table like this for like an hour. I just put my feet up like, go, hurry, go, 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 go. And so they're just going around like this. And occasionally this is what will happen. I know this is pack behavior and all kind of stuff. I will get up when they try to start chewing on the furniture and I will get chew sticks. And I'll come back and I'll give a chew stick to Bogey and I'll give a chew stick to Bacall. And Bogey will take his chew stick and walk over to Bacall and take her chew stick. Now, Bacall doesn't like that, but Bacall doesn't go, that's in- unjust. Are you looking at this? Same thing with, I read once, if you watch like chimps in a zoo, and, and according to biologists, the closest thing to us genetically are chimps. And if you watch chimps in a zoo, if one chimp takes another chimp's banana, the rest of the chimps don't go, hey, stop that! Unfair! Unfair! They're just like, man, it's your problem. We are the only creatures on earth that demand justice even if we don't know the people involved in the injustice. That's part of being in the image and likeness of God. That's one. We appreciate beauty. We appreciate beauty whether it's the beauty of another human being, whether it's art, whether it's music, whether it's we appreciate beauty. You don't see orangutans, even like Clyde from the Clint Eastwood movie, hanging art on their wall. They don't care. We're the only ones to do it. Why? We're in the image and likeness of God. And we can ponder our own mortality and our purpose. Creatures don't do this either. I don't know, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the two little puppies that scamper around my feet all day long are not looking at each other going, but what does dogness mean? What is the purpose of being a dog? 
They're not doing that. What are they doing? Feed me. Give me something to chew on. All primal instincts. They're not reflecting on anything. We're the only ones that do that. You know, deer are cute when they're not in the middle of the road, but, you know, deers aren't walking around one day and sitting around contemplating their own mortality, and, you know, they just drop over dead. We think about it. We deal with it. We try to distract ourselves from it. We try to entertain ourselves as much as we can to distract ourselves from the fact that we know one day we're all going to die. But we're the only ones to do that. Why? Again, because we're made in the image and likeness of God. The God of the Bible. And speaking of the Bible, and Dad will be talking about that next week. It is possible to know that there's a God through logic and nature. Even Romans says that. Paul says that you can look around and see that there is a God. And what Paul meant by that is to look up at the, here in southern Ohio, you can look at the Ohio River and you can look at the hills and you can look at all the different critters and all this other kind of stuff and you can see yeah, this is an accident. But you can't know the God of the Bible. You've got to know Scripture as well. Only Scripture will tell you fully who God is. Otherwise, if you don't read Scripture, if you don't study Scripture, if you don't look at who God is as presented by Scripture, you're going to create a God of your own desires, your own mind, and that's a false God. You've got to look at the Scriptures. And what the Scriptures say sometimes is puzzling, but we should know this because even the Scriptures say, Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. There are some things He just doesn't share with us. We know that God is three and yet one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet one. Now, I know, I know that on the surface, that makes no sense. I've had Muslim friends who tell me, Matt, I like you, but you Christians have one problem. I said, what's that? You can't do math. Father, Son, Spirit, three. I said, yes, three, but one. They go, how? That's the best I can come up with. Some of you heard me say it before. Ever seen a conjoined twin? Is that two or one? And the answer is yes. They are somehow spiritually connected in a way we just cannot understand. They're three and yet one. Here's the other big thing you need to know about what the Bible teaches about God. God does not need any of us. He does not need us. Acts 17, 25. He doesn't need us. That means you cannot bargain with God. You can't do that. You end up looking like the end of that movie with Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise, the end, if you've never seen that. Some of you have never seen that. What are you people doing with your spare time? If you tell me The Bachelor, I'm going to lose it.
That movie, the end, Burt Reynolds is swimming. He's decided to commit suicide because he's looking at this horrible disease and suffering, all this kind of stuff. And he gets out there and he says, no, 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 I want, I've changed my mind. I want to live. But he's so far from shore, he thinks he's going to drown. So he's, he's, he's swimming back and he's trying to bargain with God. I'll give you 20%, Lord. 20, okay, 25%. 30%, Lord. Gross, not net. And then he gets to shore. And what does he do? Why'd you do that to me, Lord? I'm not giving you anything. And this is what we do. You've done it, I'm sure. If you've ever bought a lottery ticket, tell me you haven't said a little prayer like, Lord, do you know the great and charitable things I would do with $500 million? Huh? Think of what $50 million could mean to the kingdom of God, Lord. He ain't bought it yet. He doesn't need us. But the Bible teaches he does love us. Despite the fact that we provide him nothing, he loves us. Not only does he love us, he wants all his creation, every human being to be saved. He wants none to perish, but all to come to salvation. And he paid a very serious price that. Because if you've never heard me before, if you're new here, let me tell you what this church is all about is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus Christ, salvation through Jesus Christ. And that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. You place your faith in Jesus Christ because you have sinned. Everyone here has sinned. I Traffic actually wasn't that bad this morning, so I didn't sin as much as I usually do driving here, but I, I sin. That sin is treason against God. The penalty for treason is death, hell. But Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay the penalty for all of your sins if you will place your faith in him. Now, placing faith, as you've heard me say before, those of you who've been here, the Greek word does not mean just believe. Like, you know, I believe that sky is blue, water's, you know, wet, and Jesus is Lord. That's not faith. The Greek word for faith means belief, trust in, and loyalty to. It means all three. You place all those things in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, you will live forever. This body that you currently have will pass away, but the person who's really you will live on forever. You need to understand them. But you need to understand God is also a God of justice. If you don't place your faith in him, if you still have sins that need to be paid, you'll have to pay them yourself, and he will cast you aside. And there are no second chances. Once you die or Jesus returns, there are no second chances. That's it. This is all you have. We had a funeral here Friday. We never know how long we do have. Only God knows that. Now, I hear it all the time when I bring this stuff up. Matt, this is great. But you can't argue someone into salvation. Actually, yes, you can. 
How many of you know the name C.S. Lewis? Mere Christianity, Chronicles of Narnia. When he was writing his early stuff, which was on medieval literature, C.S. Lewis, as a young professor, was an atheist. He'd come out of World War I. He served in World War I. He was wounded in World War I, fighting with the British. And he came home and just decided the world was just too terrible a place. God could not exist. But just across the hall from him was J.R.R. Tolkien, the man who wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Tolkien believed in God. He was Catholic. And so he would sit with C.S. Lewis in the evening after classes with pipes and warm beer. They're British. Go figure. And they would sit there and discuss these things. And Lewis slowly came to realize he didn't have answers to some of the questions J.R.R. Tolkien was asking. And so one day he was on a motorcycle riding to the London Zoo, and he was thinking to himself, and he thought, I've got no more objections. Shoot, I'm a Christian. And if you don't think, again, that's a design thing, that the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit was right across the hall from the guy who would write the Chronicles of Narnia, and they were buddies, how often does that happen? Another one, Francis Collins. Francis Collins is the director of the National Institute of Health. He's the guy who mapped out the human genome. He's got a brain like this, too. He had a colleague who was a Christian, and Collins' biggest objection to Christianity was, I can't believe that someone could rise from the dead. I just cannot believe it. As a scientist, I just cannot believe it. So the guy went home, got a book called The Resurrection of the Son of God, written by an Oxford scholar named N.T. Wright, and handed it to him and said, read that for me. He said, fine, I'll read it. He finished the book, about 800 pages, by the way. He put it down and said, shoot, I'm a Christian. If nothing else, because many of you know, I was an atheist for a long time. I declared myself an atheist at 13. I did not become a Christian until I was just almost 25. And I wasn't just an atheist who's like, eh, no thanks. I was a card-carrying evangelist for atheism. I tried to talk a buddy into being an atheist. Praise the Lord, he's now a Lutheran pastor, but, so I failed. But I gave it my best shot. But having conversations with Christians who knew what they were talking about, being asked questions like, where did the universe come from? If it was just a giant mistake, global mistake, why is it so incredibly well-designed for life? What are the odds of that? Why do we human beings, if we're just random mutations, why do we love art and justice? Why is it that we can think about our purpose and our mortality? Those things made me doubt my doubts. They put in Greg Kokel's word, the guy who came up with the Colombo method, a little pebble in my shoe. So that when a doctor walked in and fortunately incorrectly told me that I had colon cancer and I went through an existential crisis like you cannot believe, and I wasn't quite 25, and they're telling me I have colon cancer. And I'd watched my uncle, who was a colonel in the Air Force, die 
from colon cancer just six years before. He was a colonel in the Air Force. He ran every day. He ate right. He didn't smoke. He rarely drank. And he was dead in his 50s from colon cancer. I looked at myself in the mirror, and I thought, I smoke like a stack. I drink like a fish, and the only exercise I get is coughing. So I'm a dead man. And I got on my knees and went to the God that was presented to me over the years by faithful Christians making these very arguments. Because of that, I knew where to go. I knew where my only hope lied. So, on top of C.S. Lewis, Francis Collins, and my name doesn't belong anywhere near theirs, but it took a crisis. But it was because of, the, of logic and true science and Scripture that I became a Christian. And then, as I went through the years and went through a troubled marriage and, and had that fall apart and and had people gossiping about me and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to quit, not just ministry. I wanted to quit Christianity altogether. And you know why I didn't? It's true. It's just true. When people come to see it's true, they'll stick with it. It's not just your feelings. It also has to be your mind. May God bless your conversations with the unchurched. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, first of all, just thankful to be here for another day of life, to be able to gather together as a church, to know that when we come and repent, those of us who have faith that you forgive us, that you love us, that you want us all, like the prodigal father, just run after us. We thank you for that. We thank you for the gifts that you have given us that we inherited from you, and you when you created us, to be able to want justice and, and, and to love beauty and, and to be able to reflect on our purpose and why we're here. To know that you exist and you sent your son to the cross to pay the penalty for all those who will place their faith in you. We thank you for that. And I pray that more and more people will come through the conversations of this church and come hear the truth, come know the truth, and come to faith in you that they may join us in eternity. I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Guys, God goes with you. God bless you. And again, if you need a bat wrangler, I'll give you my cell phone. But did you know that there's a law in Ohio that you can't extract bats between May and September? I have to wait till October. I got to deal with these things till October? Man, she's going to be a pro by the time we're done with this. All right. God bless you all. See you. Christ Community Church located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.